John 3:31 through 36. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Amen. Kind of a sobering thought at the end of that passage. And I encourage you to leave your Bible open here to John chapter 3. As you know, we're going through uh, the book of John. I think preaching through a book uh, with attention to every verse and every sentence, I think, says something loud and clear that, you know, we the people, we the preacher, we want to submit ourselves to all of scriptures. And I'm trying not to skip parts that might be uncomfortable. And I try not to hide or try not to ride you know, my own hobby horses, because we believe it's all inspired by God, and it's all profitable for us. And John said at the end of his gospel that we mentioned, the very first sermon I preached on John, John chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And that's our great goal. You know, uh, in, in preaching our way through this gospel, to see the glory of Jesus Christ and to believe and to have eternal life and to have joy. I mean, Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. And Peter said to Jesus in John 6, 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So what sort of eternal life is it? It's, it's a joyful life. That's why Satan tries to steal our joy, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. In John 15, 11, it says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy might be full. So why would we not want to spend like five years going through the book of John, just kind of swimming in this ocean of life and joy? In short, here's what John gives us, all through the book of John. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14 and verse 16. The word became flesh, right? That is, the Son of God came into the world as the God-man Jesus, the Messiah, and he dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. And I think that is what is happening in every Verse, every text of this gospel in one way or another, Jesus is being held up high. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the, the one and only Son of God. He's glorious. He's magnificent. He's, he's supreme. He's splendid. He's full of grace and truth. And when we see him for who he really is, grace upon grace upon grace just floods into our lives and streams into our lives. And Jesus becomes for us the most supreme reality 
in the world, forgiving all of our sins. Wow. Providing all of our righteousness. Wow. And becoming this all-satisfying pearl of great price. And even our friend. And we find out that Jesus is enough for us. No matter what happens to us circumstantially, Jesus is enough for us because Jesus is God and only God can really satisfy us. You know, that hole in our soul, that God-shaped hole that can only be filled by God himself. And that's what's happening really in John chapter 3, uh, the Janet just read, verses 31 to 36. Jesus is being held up as coming from God, as being full of God, and speaking and ruling as God so that eternity divides. Really, there's a fork in the road. Eternity divides between those who certify God as true in Jesus and those who certify God as a liar. The one has eternal life, and the other one remains under the wrath of God. And this is what it says. That's what the text says. That's the message uh, of what is in these verses. And so I pray now that as I point to Jesus uh, as being from God, and as I point to Jesus as being full of God and speaking and ruling as God, that you'll have ears to hear. And you'll take heed how you hear, because I think in this moment, God is calling you. God is confirming his sheep. What? John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Or John 8, 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that you're not of God. And so I urge you this morning to put your ears on. Hear the word of God and see in it The glory of God. John John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. And that is what I'm praying for us all. You know. And I'm talking about the supremacy of Jesus this morning. So why is Jesus supreme? Number one. Jesus is supreme because Jesus is from God. Jesus is held up before us as from above. He's from heaven, from God the Father. Verse 31, let's go to the text. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. And he who comes from heaven is above all. In verse 34, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. So in three different ways, right? John tells us, That Jesus does not have his origin from the earth, but he has his origin with God in heaven. Verse 31 at the beginning, from above. Verse 31 at the end, from heaven. Verse 34 at the beginning, God has sent. Jesus is from God. He's not like everybody else. And I think John makes this really clear when he contrasts everybody else in verse 31 with Jesus. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. That would include... uh, like John the Baptist in distinction to Jesus and everybody else. And the verse is literally, he who is from the earth is from the earth. The point here is the same 
Uh, if you remember from John chapter 3, verse 6, where Jesus said the old Nicodemus, remember? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, everyone is born in a natural way. Every one of us is born in a natural way through the flesh, and that is all we are. We're flesh. Or as he says here, we're from the earth, you know, natural. We're earthly. We're not spiritual. There's no supernatural life in us. We're just human, and we're fallen, and we're all in need of the new birth. That's the point. Every person is in this category except one. Jesus. Listen to the amazing explanation that the Apostle Paul gives of what Jesus is saying here. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 47 to 49, and it's in comparing the first Adam with Jesus, who is called the second Adam. So it says, the first man, or the first Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, the second Adam, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So Paul and Jesus see Two categories of people, really. There's Adam and there's Jesus. The first Adam and the second Adam. One earthly, the other from heaven. Just like John says. All of us bear the image of Adam and his sinful condition. Adam is the head of the earthly human race. And all who believe in Jesus bear the image and bear his image and his righteous condition. Jesus is the head of a new human race called the family of God, the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. And Paul puts it like this in Romans 5, verse 17 and 19. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now back to John chapter 3, verse 31. He who comes from heaven is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. Now that's Jesus and the rest of us. Remember John 3, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Now if the Son of God had not been sent from heaven and sent from above, from God, we would all remain in our sin. And we would all be under God's wrath. That is what the text says. And so John is saying there is one who is completely different. There's one who is infinitely different. And he does not share in Adam's sin. He's not just, you know, from the earth. Jesus, he's more than a man. He's more than a good guy. He is more than a carpenter. He is more than just a pretty good prophet. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's from above. He's from heaven, from God, and he's come into the world without sin on a mission to rescue sinners. 
Just like John 3, 17 says, he didn't come into the world. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. But to save the world. Why else is Jesus supreme? Not only is he from God, but he's also full of God. (laughs) Something... uh, Very awesome, very profound, mysterious, very wonderful at the end of verse 34 and the beginning of verse 35. You know, when they first wrote the Greek New Testament, they didn't put in any punctuation. You know, we did that later. But let's read both of these verses, and you make the connection between the end and the beginning of the verses. He whom God hath sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. You take the last part of verse 34 and the first part of verse 35 without a break, and it gives, and and it goes like this. God gives his spirit to the one whom he sent without measure. The Father loves the Son. Now, there's two present tenses, and I was taught, you know, the present tense in the Greek language, it means continuous action. So it says the Father is always giving the Son, the Spirit, without measure. And he's always loving the Son. This is, I think, the the tip of the Trinity iceberg. The Trinity is all through the Scripture, even though the word Trinity isn't mentioned. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God gives the one whom he sent, the Spirit without measure. What does that mean? It means that there is this infinite difference between the way the Son receives the Spirit of God and the way we receive the Spirit. The difference is that he receives it, what? Without measure. That's what it says. The way the Son of God receives the Spirit of God is measureless. It cannot be measured. Why not? Because it's infinite. You see, God communicates and imparts and he gives and he bestows his Spirit on the Son infinitely. As much as there is of the Spirit, the Son has. As many ways as he can have him, He has him in all of those ways, as fully as the Spirit can be known and enjoyed in all that fullness, he knows and enjoys the Spirit of God. And what is the Spirit of this Spirit? I mean, now here is a question. Jesus says in John 4, 24, and we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks, God is a Spirit. You know, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. But God is a Spirit. So if God is is Spirit... What is his spirit? What is the spirit of this spirit being? What does it mean for a spirit to give his spirit without measure to his son? My answer is that verse 35 points to the answer. The father loves the son. God, who is spirit, gives the spirit to his son without measure. The father loves the son. Why does John Follow the giving of the Spirit to the Son with the loving of the Son by the Father. Romans 5, 5, you know, God has poured out his love, poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Could it be that the Spirit of God is the fully divine third person of the Trinity who actually personifies the love of God? That is, when God, who is Spirit, fully, infinitely communicates his love to the Son, 
wouldn't that be the giving of the Spirit without measure? In other words, the Spirit of God, the God who is Spirit, is love. And this love for the Son is so full, it's so great, it's so overwhelming, and it carries so much of the fullness of the Father that this love is himself God, the love of God embodied in the second person of the Trinity. One theologian put it like this, and this kind of gets a little, a little heady, but I want to read this to you. The Father's eternal love for the Son carries so much of himself in it that this love is the fullness of the deity in the second person of the Trinity. As the Son is the eternal self-knowing of the Father, the Spirit is the eternal self-loving of the Father. And this knowing and loving are so full of the Father that they stand forth from all eternity without beginning as fully God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Son is the fullness of the Father as his perfect image, and the Spirit is the fullness of the Father loving this image, the Son. That's the tip of the Trinity iceberg. The Trinity is all through Scripture. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Other religions don't believe that. Cults do not believe that. So the second thing John does in this text is to point us to the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, is infinitely unlike us. (laughs) Not only in that he is from God, but we're from the earth, but also that he's full of God. And he has the Spirit without measure. The Father has given him the Spirit infinitely from all eternity. That is, he's loved him eternally with all that he is, And all that he is in this love is the person of the Holy Spirit. Why is Jesus supreme? Because he's from God. Why is Jesus supreme? Because he's full of God. And thirdly, Jesus is held up before us not only as coming from God and not only as being full of God, but also as speaking and ruling as God. Jesus speaks and he rules as God. I mean, you read through John, I mean, nobody, no, no human would say things like Jesus said. I mean, it would be such an egomaniac. Nobody would say things like that unless they were God. So first, he speaks as God. Look at verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Who is this? He is the one who comes from above and is above all. So what he has seen and heard is what he has seen and heard in heaven, in God. And so he is speaking the words of God. And then verse 34, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. He's not speaking them the way, you know, I speak them really. I'm dependent upon Jesus to know what God thinks in heaven. But Jesus is from heaven. And he's got the spirit of God infinitely. He is from God. He is full of God. And he is God. And so when he speaks... When Jesus, he speaks the words of God. When you hear Jesus, you hear God. And not only does he speak as God, but you know, he rules as God. Look at verse 31. He who comes from above is, is above all. Above all means he's above all in power. He's above all in authority and in every other way except sin. Verse 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. 
You know, all things are given by God into the hand of Jesus. You know, he's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the itty-bitty baby in his hand. He's got you and me, brother, in his hand. And to have something in your hand put there by God is to actually rule it. So John is lifting up Jesus as the ruler of all things. And the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1.3, he says, he upholds all things by the word of his hot power. He upholds all things by his powerful word. And so what is John trying to do? Jesus is from God and full of God and he speaks and he rules as God and we're from the earth and we speak from the earth in verse 31 and apart from him, we rule nothing. And what's the point? As always, to reveal his glory, to reveal his glory as only the, the only son from the Father and that he is the one that's full of grace and truth and to show that we need from his fullness exactly what he is full of. And that's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We need the grace and the mercy of God. And so John shows us again, as he has more than once, that right here in the presence of this Christ, in the presence of this Messiah, in the presence of this anointed one, this, this, this magnificent Jesus, eternity divides. One person believes... And he puts his seal on Jesus as God is true. Another person disobeys, and that is refuses to believe on Jesus and makes God out to be a liar. Verses 32 and 33, it says, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony certifies that God is true. Another version says, sets his seal to this, that God is true. You got no one receives, and then whoever receives. What do you make of that? It's what Jesus said to Nicodemus when Nicodemus was baffled by the new birth. John 3.11, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. You must be born again. In other words, John means here in in chapter three, verse 32 to 33, that no one receives Jesus's testimony in their natural condition from earth. They've gotta be born again, but those who are born again receive his testimony. You know, to as many as received him, to to those who believed on his name, to them, to them, to them. He gives the power to become children of God. We must be born again. Since Jesus is full of God, listen to this. To receive Jesus and to believe Jesus is to say yes to God and yes to his word, all of it. There's such a union between Jesus and God that when we say yes to Jesus, we put our stamp, we put our seal, we put our approval on all that God loves and all that God is and all that God says. Have you done that? Have you said yes 
to Jesus. The opposite is to make God out to be a liar. And in John's first letter, chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. And the final result of certifying God as true or sealing God as true in Jesus and making God as a liar in Jesus is the difference between eternal life and eternal wrath. That's what the text says. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The bottom line is heaven and hell. Eternal life, eternal damnation. Wrath or refuge. Bottom line, according to these verses. So I lift him up. I lift Jesus up to you one more time with the prayer that you will see his glory. Just like John wants us to see. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his glory, we'll receive grace upon grace upon grace and believing in him as from God, as full of God and speaking and ruling as God and coming into the world to die for sinners that we're gonna celebrate in just a minute. And believing in him. And having eternal life. So trust Jesus. Accept Jesus. Receive Jesus. He's the only one who can save you from the consequences of sin. And this is what we're celebrating today in Holy Communion. And it is really something to celebrate. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the good news of the gospel, God, that you sent your son in the world not to condemn us, but to save us from our sins and that he was definitely from you and full of you and speaking and ruling uh, as you because he is God. So Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we welcome you to this place today and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of partaking of this holy meal. And God, we ask that you would reveal yourself as you have through your word, but also through this sacrament, that we would know you and that you would make yourself known to us in the breaking of the bread, just like you did with the two on the road to Emmaus. In Jesus' name, amen.